And you know, Holy Week, many churches over the years, I mean over the centuries, have celebrated Holy Week. And I believe there is something so powerful when we go back to the scriptures at the start of Easter. And even though Easter weekend is only next week, when you go read through the accounts of scripture, Jesus had many different events leading up to his crucifixion and up to the resurrection. And so I want to start today, and I'm actually just, I don't know, shall we call it teaching? Although, yeah, I can't guarantee that I'm not blind. But I'm going to just look at 11 scriptures of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Five days before he was crucified, on Sunday, Palm Sunday. And we're going to go back to that passage. There's actually, it's recorded in all four Gospels. I'll give you all the scriptures. And we're going to go back and we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to show us something new. To give us a new insight, to give us a new revelation. And I really believe it's going to shift something inside of your heart today. It's going to break open something for you that's going to change you, that's going to change something in your life. So are you ready? Who's brought a Bible? Who's got a phone? Okay. So, but before we get there, today we also said on the news we've got an Easter devotional. Why do we want to do an Easter devotional as part of our reading, as part of our celebration towards Easter weekend? Must we close that door? Is it a bit... Yeah, maybe we can just close that door. Kids are going crazy. We love it. Fantastic. Okay, so, but the Easter devotional, why do we want to read an Easter devotional? I really believe that this is an awesome devotional. Johannes and I, I've read it actually in one day, uh, just to see, we want to make sure before we recommend anything to you that it's actually scriptural. But what I love about this devotion, you can find it on version. Okay, it's called Explaining Easter. And every single day, it takes the accounts of scripture, tracing Jesus' exact steps from when he entered Jerusalem Palm Sunday that we're going to cover today from his re- uh, to his resurrection. So it's so amazing, and I want to encourage you, take the time this Easter weekend. How many are already on holiday? Okay, need just three men, sir. Okay, so if you're not on holiday, we're also not on holiday, just take some time in the morning or before you go to bed and just read through, if you do anything, just read through the devotional. Imagine yourself, ask Holy Spirit, Lord, take me back to that time. Take me back and show me your purpose in doing everything. Because Jesus had a specific reason. Jesus had divine appointments for every single thing that he did. Nothing he did was just random. So the scripture is so rich, and there's a lot of great scriptures attached to each one of those days. So I want to encourage you. It is fascinating. I said to Johannes, I am loving this so much right now in the Word. I just spent the last four or five days in this account of Palm Sunday, just day one. And I'm already thinking we can do six different sermons just from that one day of Jesus. It is so fascinating. But okay, I want to encourage you. And you know what's also amazing? I want to encourage you. If you've got a family, if you've got children, bring your children along on the reading. You know that in children's church, they've been doing the last five, I think five Sundays, we've been doing a series on Easter. And this morning, they are doing a summary of the last five Sundays. And the team have got props. They've got jog broad nails, the similar type of nails that Jesus was nailed to on the cross, from Egypt. 
and he's going to show it to them. And they are literally taking the children through this um, series. So, you know, children understand the story of Jesus. Don't think your kids are too young to understand. And take them through it and do family devotions together. Why don't we start new traditions? I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up with amazing traditions like that. Start a new tradition. Read the Easter story together and take your children on the story. God speaks through them. Your children might just speak something prophetically for your family that you need to hear. Amen? Awesome. Okay, let's get to the word. So, why is Easter important to us? Easter is important to us because Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14, if Christ is not raised, if Christ was not raised from the dead, everything else of our faith is useless. Our faith has been built on the foundations of Jesus' death and resurrection. So this is our foundation. The Easter message is the most important message of all time. And Johannes is going to bring it next Sunday or next you know, Easter weekend, but we're already starting today. And that's why it's so important that we understand the depth of the gospel message. There is only one message of Jesus, and it is the message of the gospel. Amen? Okay, so let's get into the word this morning. So there are four accounts in the gospels where each of the gospel writers are writing this story of the events. Remember, they were eyewitnesses. So the Gospels were written as eyewitness accounts. In other words, these people saw exactly what happened. They were actually there. It's not hearsay. They were actually there. So Palm Sunday, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is covered in Matthew 21, and you can write this down, or it's in your version. Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11, if you're taking notes. It's also included in Mark 11, verse 1 to 10. It's also included in Luke 19, verse 29 to 38, and John 12, verse 12 to 15. And I want to encourage you, if you read through all four Gospels, you'll notice how every single writer included other little details in the story. Because remember, they each had a different audience. Matthew, for example, was writing to a Jewish audience. So his aim of his letter was to help the Jewish people understand, the Jewish readers of that letter, to understand that Jesus truly is the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Luke was a doctor. Luke wrote from a different perspective. Mark, I always believe, or I always like to call Mark's book the action book of the gospel. This is an action movie, okay? It's very focused on what Jesus did, his miracles, his signs, his wonders. Okay, so, and then, of course, John was the beloved disciple, Johannes, was a geliefde disciple van Jesus. Hy het altyd so Jesus' boos gelee. So he writes about love. Okay. So, dis baie interessant as jy daar gaan vergelijk. Maar kom, ons gaan na Matthies 21, Matthew 21. And we're going to read through there. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. So we can read it together. It will also be on the screen, but I like to be in my Bible. Because, voor anders wie nou wees. Okay. Wie hou daarvan is die bladseie so mal? It's anointed. Oh, I'm going to have fun today. Are you ready? Okay, Matthew 21, verse 1 to 11, it says this, and I've got the longer version, the amplified, because I care. Okay, so it says, when they approached Jerusalem, this is now Jesus and the crowd, his disciples, everyone that followed him, 
and had reached Bethage, I don't know how you pronounce that, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples ahead, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and at once you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Who's ever read that there were two donkeys in this scenario? Interesting. Okay, if anyone says anything to you, you should say, the Lord needs them. And without the delay, the owner will send them with you. And this happened so that what was spoken by the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, that is the people of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. Everyone say, my king is coming. Okay, sound a little bit more excited. My king is coming. Then, verse 6, then the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their coats on them. And Jesus sat on the coats. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their coats on the road as before a king, while others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him were shouting in praise and adoration, Hosanna to the son of David, Messiah. Blessed, praise, glorified is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was trembling with excitement. So excitement is holy. Trembling with excitement, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. There's so much in there. Let's see if we get through all of it. Praise the Lord. But you know what was the first thing that really caught my eye? Is that when you go and study scripture, what I love to do, and I would encourage you, if this year, if you could do anything for yourself... If you could do yourself a favor, now I sound like Joyce Meyer. She's got a book called Do Yourself a Favor and Forgive. But if you could do yourself a favor, start to learn how to study Scripture. Get a good Bible with study notes. I personally love this Bible. In our team, I feel like I should be paid royalties. In our team, many of them have bought this Bible. It's a New King James Bible, but it's got notes in there. It gives you the context of the letter, the context of the writer, the context of the audience. Many times people don't interpret the Word of God right because they just don't have a good study Bible where they can learn and understand the context of what was actually happening. And you know what? The, the original scriptures didn't have chapters and headings. That's why when we study the Bible, we're supposed to, when we went to Bible school, we had to get an Afrikaans Bible, the 1953, 1953 vertaling, because that was the closest to the original text. We had to take tipics and tipics out all the headings and all the chapters. And you know what, how amazing was that? Because we got to look at each story within complete context of the whole letter. And it changed, it was such a powerful exercise for me because it changed the way that I started to study the Bible. Anyway, going totally off notes. But so when I was studying this, it said in the Bible, it's got little A's. Have you noticed little ones, twos, A's, B's? Now in your Bible, if you've got a good study Bible, 
in the middle or on the side, it would have a little column that will explain to you. It's called a cross-reference. So you get to go look at another scripture that explains to you this is where it's coming from or this is what it means. And now what's fascinating about Jesus and the Gospels is that who knows Jesus came to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Every single scripture points back to Jesus. And what's fascinating about this story is that at the time in, Israel, in Jerusalem, this time when Jesus went to the festival, where as he approached Jerusalem, it was the 10th day of the Passover festival. So all the different people, pilgrims, Jewish people, everyone from all around town came to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover, where they celebrated the fact that they were rescued from Egypt and all of that. We don't have time to go into that. But it was the 10th day. And you know what Exodus 12 verse 3 says? Let me just make sure. Exodus 12 verse 3 in the law, it said that on the 10th day of Passover, the families would have to go and find a lamb suitable for sacrifice. And what did Jesus do when he came into Jerusalem on the 10th day of Passover? He came to show himself as the lamb for sacrifice on the 10th day. And he came to say, I am, here I'm presenting myself, I am the true lamb for sacrifice. Isn't that powerful? Well, you don't look excited, but I thought that was amazing. During his last week, Jesus deliberately came and said, I am the true lamb that's going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And so we read there that Jesus came and Jesus said to the disciples, go and find a donkey and a colt. Now, why a donkey? I was like, Lord, why a donkey? Traditionally, in the biblical times, when you were a king and you were, uh, what is a coronation of a king? You were instituted as a king. So King Charles, when is, when is his coronation? Isn't it now somewhere? What? Who cares, is your honest? Okay, but... <laughs> Okay, so, but basically, when a king was being presented to the people, when he came into the town after he was anointed and he would come, he would usually come victoriously on a powerful, mighty horse, not a humble, meek donkey. Donkeys were actually used for service, not for war. Donkeys were also animals of peace. And so there's also many accounts. This is a fascinating study if you want to do that, if you want to go and look at how many times people came into town. Even Solomon came on a mule, but a mule is a cross between a horse and a donkey. But even Mary traveled on a donkey. Okay, Jesus came in as the king on a donkey, gentle. And as an animal of peace, when a king would come into a town to declare peace over that town, he would come on a donkey, not on a war horse. But what was so beautiful to me is that even though Jesus chose this humble and meek entrance, this gentle entrance into the city to declare his kingship, is that what does the Bible say in Revelation 19? How will he come again but the second time? He's not going to come on a donkey. I don't think he's going to come gentle. Look at this. I've actually included this because I thought it was powerful. Revelation 19 verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open. This is John. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. 
With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And let me tell you, in Jerusalem it says that the city was trembling with excitement. The world will be shaken with excitement and fear of God. When Jesus comes the second time, it's not going to be on a donkey. It's going to be powerful. And everyone will know. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That is the quinang. And so anyway, that's amazing. And I believe actually this account is also prophetic of when Jesus would return again and the way that he will come in. Okay, so a donkey, we say, traditionally in Israel, victorious kings would ride in after war on powerful horses, blowing of trumpets, eating massive fanfare to announce the king has arrived. Okay, Jesus comes in, not even wearing a crown, but still the whole city gathered. Everyone was in uproar, trying to figure out what is going on here. So he came on a donkey, gentle, meek, peaceful. And you know what was also interesting is the Bible speaks of the donkey and the colt. A colt is actually a young donkey, maybe four years or younger, that still is tied to the mother so the mother can still give direction. And a colt is usually a donkey that has never been ridden before. In Jewish tradition, a king will only ride a donkey that has never been ridden before because it was considered holy. If that donkey has never been used for service before, it was considered holy and therefore fit for a king. And here Jesus comes, and on this young colt, this fell, he comes. It's fit for a king. It's pure. And he does everything in the Jewish tradition so that people can understand the significance. He gets, he gets down to their tradition so that they can understand he is actually proclaiming his kingship. Is that amazing or what? I thought this was very interesting. It was holy unto the Jews, therefore fit to carry a king. Donkeys were made for service. We said they were a, an animal of peace. And you know the Bible calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. And so we know that as we go further in the story, we'll get to everyone's expectations. You know, everyone had different expectations of this king that would be coming into Jerusalem. As this king was coming in, they were expecting a victorious king on a horse. He comes meek and peaceful on a donkey. They were expecting him to turn over the Roman Empire so that Israel can be made victorious again like it was in the day of David and Solomon. And Jesus comes not to wage war. He comes to reconcile man and God in peace. He comes to bring peace again between man and God. He didn't come to do what people were expecting him to do, but we'll, we'll go deeper into that. But I think it's, 
incredible significance that he came on a donkey, an animal of peace, to bring peace between God and man. So do you see every little detail of how amazing it was? Everything that Jesus did had purpose. Everything that Jesus did had a deep prophetic symbolism to it so that we can understand, so that we can see that he truly is the king of kings. And so we said that it's completely in contrast to how he will come at the second coming. And of course, now the Bible also quotes Matthew, quotes Zechariah 9 verse 9, which was the prophecy spoken by the prophet to say that Jesus will come, the Messiah, the true Messiah will come on the colt, on the donkey. Behold, your king is coming. So who knew that prophecy? All the Jewish people. And so when they saw it taking place in front of them, they knew the word, they knew the law, they knew the prophetic words. They could see that this was a prophecy coming into fulfillment. There are many prophetic things in the Bible that are coming into fulfillment in our day. But do we know enough of the word to have the discernment to know, Lord, is this happening? Johannes personally is very passionate about that, so I think he should teach more of that. I mean, who agrees? Who wants to know when prophetic things in our world are happening that's signifying, you know, telling us the coming of the Lord is near? I actually do believe, we say it all the time, I do believe it's near. That's not just because everyone always says it. I do believe Jesus is coming back soon. We were talking about it in our kids' church this morning. Anyway, okay, so then the people were also throwing down their coats. They were throwing down their coats. Why were they doing that? Because that was the way in Jewish tradition that they would pay homage to a king. That they would literally lay down themselves in front of the king to say, we honor your kingship. We accept you as king. And so I also thought that was prophetic, that people were throwing down, they were also uh, putting their coats on the donkey so Jesus could sit on it. And you know, there is something also profound about the palm branches, some translations say just branches of trees. I think it was John that said palm trees, palm branches. A palm branch is symbolic of what? Of victory. Of victory. So I don't even know if the crowds that were doing these things actually realized what they were also part of. They were waving palm branches, announcing the way for the king to come, and Revelation, I think it's Revelation 7 that speaks about the palm branches of victory in heaven. So again, a prophetic significance that comes through that I don't even know if the crowds realized that they were shouting victory and the king will have victory. Now remember, this is five days before the cross. Everyone was shouting, Hosanna, yay, victory. But many of the people that were shouting victory then were denying Jesus just five days later because they thought this is not the victorious king we were hoping for. He's dying on a cross. What kind of a king is that? What kind of a victory is that? That doesn't look like victory. Some of us in this room, the Lord is calling to shout victory and your natural circumstances look like it's dying. But he calls you to prophetically shout the victory because the resurrection is coming. That's a word for someone today. Your victory is coming. Keep shouting it. Why were they shouting Hosanna? What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means this. 
It's referenced from Psalm 118. Look at, look at the screen. Psalm 118, verse 24 to 26 says, The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house, from the house of the Lord, we bless you. Hosanna was used in songs of praise, but it actually means, Lord, save us. Save us now. That's what they were shouting. They were saving Jesus, save us from this Roman rule. They knew they needed a king, but they thought they needed a king to save them from Roman rule, to save them from their earthly oppression. And they were hoping, they were believing that that was going to be the role of the Messiah. They were hoping that the king would come and rescue them from their earthly circumstances, but the king had a different mission. The king came to set up a spiritual redemption, to set up a spiritual kingdom, to bring a spiritual relief and answer, which would, of course, affect their natural circumstances. But do you see how the king's mission was very different from what the people had expected? And how many times today, you know, and I speak for myself, how many times do we have an expectation of Jesus? But Jesus has a different mission. What is his mission? He came to save. He came to reconcile us with the Father. He came to first restore our spiritual relationship with the Father. Lord, save us and save us now, they were shouting. Let's go to Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10. You don't have it on the screen there, team. Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10. The reason why I'm reading these Revelation scriptures to you as well is so you can see the prophetic significance of not just the prophecies of Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled, but also it creates an expectation for when he's coming back. And so you can see the finer lines within the lines of how everything ties together. Listen to this. Revelation 7 verse 9 to 10. After these things I looked, and this is what I saw. A vast multitude, multitude which no one could count, gathered from every nation and from all the tribes and peoples and languages of the earth. And standing before the throne, before the Lamb, Christ, dressed in white robes, with what? Palm branches in their hands, symbol of victory, and in a loud voice they cried out singing, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Does that scene sound familiar? It was the same as what they were doing when Jesus entered Jerusalem, when he came and he announced, I am the Messiah that you have been waiting for. Jesus will reveal himself to people today in a new way, that he is the king, he is the answer that you and I have been waiting for. It just looks different than maybe what we were expecting. Oh, I pray Holy Spirit deepens this today. Okay, but who were the crowds? They were different crowds. We have time. People adored Jesus on Sunday, but at the end of the week, many turned on him and crucified him. Why? Because of expectations. The first crowd was the crowd coming with Jesus from the previous ministry where he raised Lazarus from the dead. 
when you go and read a little bit before this account, you'll see Jesus went to Mary's house, Mary and Martha, and Mary anointed him with oil. Why? For his burial. Then he went and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Why? To prove to the people that he is the God of resurrection. That when he comes into Jerusalem, he's not just a normal king, he's the king that raises the dead. Everything was done for a purpose. It's a very different teaching today. Are you still with me? I believe we need to stay in the teachings of Jesus. Okay, so that crowd, they were coming with Jesus from previous ministry where he raised Lazarus from the dead. They saw his miracles. They saw the signs. They saw the wonders. They're like, we're not leaving him. We're going with him. I would have been in that crowd. I'm sure of it. I would like to think that. There was just too much excitement around his ministry to not want to see what is he going to do next. Yo, I just, I could live in the Gospels. I'm like, Jesus, that is amazing. Okay, so from Galilee, big crowds followed him to Jericho, and another crowd followed him from Jericho to Jerusalem. And this is where Jesus, before they got to Jerusalem, Jesus actually warned the disciples, and he said to them a third time, okay, I need to explain to you, we're going to go down to Jerusalem. The mission's going to look different. I'm going to be beaten down, and I'm going to be struck down. I'm going to be on a cross, but after three days, I'm going to be resurrected. And the Bible says the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Only the Holy Spirit can help us understand the message of Jesus. And so I would imagine that they were actually quite fearful, also excited, also nervous, also have no idea what's going to happen next. And then they came to Jerusalem. The disciples were amazed and afraid at the same time because what he said was so contrary to their expectations, their hope, their imaginations. Remember when Jesus called a lot of them, the fishermen, the tax collector, Matthew, when he called all of them, he said, come and follow me. I'm going to teach you all these things. We're going we're to do this ministry. But no one realized that they're going to follow Jesus to his death. And many of them would actually also die because of following Jesus. And when I thought about it again and I read through this again, I realized, you know what? Following Jesus will cost us everything. And as we were preparing, as I was preparing, we, yes, the Lord was with me preparing. As I was preparing, I felt the Lord encourage my heart that in our church, and Johannes always says this, but the Lord just affirmed it again in my heart that we are called to preach the gospel and to preach the cross and the resurrection, which means we cannot sugarcoat the gospel to you to get people to say yes to Jesus. We've got to teach what Jesus taught. Jesus said, take up my cross daily and follow me. That means there's a sacrifice attached to it. That means I must actually die to myself like Jesus died before I can experience the resurrection of the new life. And I thought to myself, how many believers do we know that are seeking Jesus, but they're never willing to die to self? That's why many Christians are not walking in the resurrected life, because they've never died to self. Does it make sense what I'm saying this morning? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? 
Jesus said, die to yourself. When you lose your life, you find me. And I believe many believers are looking for Jesus, but he's to be found in dying to self. That's a message for another day. But I pray, that was my prayer, Lord, help me to understand what does dying to me look like? What does surrendering everything that I am, my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, what does that look like to die so that I can experience your resurrection life? That is the key to the Christian life. I felt like as I was preparing, I thought, this is it. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Die to your own ways, die to your own ideas, then you will experience the resurrection life and power of Jesus. So my own question to the Lord was, Lord, where have I not died? Where have I not yielded? Not just as a minister of the gospel, I'm talking about just as a daughter of the king. Where have I not died yet? Because I want to walk in the full resurrection power of Jesus. I want to know, like Paul said, to, like his, his utmost purpose in life. And that guy was walking in signs and wonders, but he said, my one purpose is this, to know him. And I'm like, Jesus, I want to know you. If, if, if I can seek Jesus, if Jesus can be present here, if his presence is what we are seeking, everything else will be taken care of. Don't need a hundred other plans. Don't need a hundred other fleshly ideas or things that we need to do. I feel like that is just it. Is anyone with me this morning? Maybe you're already there and I'm just trying to catch up. Okay, so what Jesus said to the disciples was so contrary to what they thought this mission was going to look like. But then there were also two crowds inside of Jerusalem. They were the people that were coming from all the different areas. They knew about the, um, I think actually in John it says that they knew about the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. This was huge. If you know someone just raised from the dead and he's coming to our church, even if you're just interested and nosy and skirig, now, there were many people like that in the crowd. They just wanted to see. Some people even believed, oh, he's just a prophet. Who is this? Some people asked. Oh, the prophet from Nazareth. But we heard he raised someone from the dead. There was that crowd. Then there were, John 12, actually, it said, a great multitude came to the feast when they heard Jesus was coming, and they also took branches of palm trees and cried out, Hosanna. And the crowd was stirred, and they didn't know him, and many were asking, who is this? And then there were the religious crowd, and this was my favorite. The religious crowd. There's not the Pharisees, the ones Jesus just continuously took a dig at. Because, you know, one of the things Jesus came to destroy was religion. Came to destroy religion. You'll see on day two, he went into the temple and he completely cleared the temple of all the nonsense that religion had brought into the temple. Fascinating study, story for another day. You'll do it on Monday, tomorrow, if you start today on the devotional. But the religious crowd said this. They said to Jesus, quieten your disciples. Because they were shouting Hosanna. They were calling him the king. They were calling him the Messiah. And the religious leaders didn't recognize Jesus was the Messiah, obviously. And they were shouting, Hosanna, and Jesus said to them, if I quieten them, the rocks will cry out that I am the Messiah. 
Yes, the white magirak. The rocks will cry out. And you know what happened when Jesus was crucified? It says that the rocks split open. You know, if there is no person on earth that will declare him king, his creation will. Nature will shout that he is the king of kings. I thought that was so powerful. Oh, my goodness. And so Jewish people were crying out for a savior to save them from Roman rule. But Jesus did not meet the expectations of many people. And I love this. This is a lesson for anyone in ministry or really for anyone. Jesus did not bow down to the expectations of people. Jesus did not bow down to the peer pressure of people. Jesus did not bow down to the peer pressure of people. Jesus did what? He did what only the Father told him to do. And you know what that... I felt like in the season that we are in as church leaders in a young church, that was so a, a strength in spite of my regret, when I realized again, Jesus was not faced by the opinions of people. Johannes and I have had our fair share of opinions of people over our church. Their opinions doesn't matter. You may have experienced the opinions of people because you decided to follow Jesus. I want to encourage you today, don't you bow down to the opinions of people. Don't you dare bow down to people challenging you because you believe in Jesus, because you are taking a step of faith that people with natural, fleshly, carnal minds do not understand. We will be persecuted for our faith. Persecution does not just look like people want to chop your head off. It looks like family coming against you. It looks like family not understanding what you are doing. It looks like people talking to you or behind your back. You know what? It is okay. Jesus said that anyone who leaves, I'm not telling everyone to leave their families, but Jesus also said anyone who has given up anything, remember it's going to cost us everything. Jesus said that anyone who has given up anything, I will personally restore everything to them. I'm holding on to that scripture because people walked away from me when I started, decided to follow Jesus. Never mind decided to move countries to go plant a church. Jesus did not bow down to their expectations. That fickle crowd that heroed him one day and the next day they shouted, crucify me, oh him, crucify him. And the Bible says that when Jesus came, and I'm almost done, I didn't get to a whole page. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, I think it's just the account of John that says this. He looked over, he looked over, I think it was Mount Olives. Mount of Olives. Sweet. He looked at Jerusalem and the Bible says Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep when he looked at Jerusalem? Even though they were shouting, Hosanna, Maripalam Takis. He was crying. Because he knew that they did not understand the hour of his visitation. And then he called judgment upon them because they didn't realize that the king had come. The king was in their midst. And my heart's prayer to the Lord when I read that again was like, Jesus, don't let us miss you. Do not let us miss you. Wreck us, shake us. I don't care what you do, Lord, but don't let us miss you. 
We need to follow Jesus with everything. And I thought it was profound that Jesus entered Jerusalem at the east. Ne? East gate. This is Johannes' territory, so that's why I'm looking to him to confirm. He's so good with all of that. And I believe one day he's going to come back the same but powerfully. And every tongue will know. Every person will know that he is king. And we are going to rejoice. We're going to shout like crazy people. We said last week, heaven is not going to be a quiet place. So, oefen nou al jou stembande. Oefen jou danspassies. Because your king has come. Amen. Why don't you stand and I'm going to pray for us this morning. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. If the team can put on that last slide. Because I want us to focus. That's why we have music sometimes. Because it helps us to focus. So I want you to close your eyes this morning. Jesus was a different king than what many people expected. But he was the king that all people needed. And I want to ask all of us an honest question this morning. What is our expectation of our king? What is your expectation of Jesus this morning? And does it line up with what we know in the word of God? Because I believe, number one, Jesus died on the cross so that you and I can have access to everything that we need. Our first need is to be reconciled with our Father. That is our need, whether we know we need it or not. There's a world out there that doesn't know that they have that need. He came to reconcile us to the Father, to bring peace and righteousness back so we can be in right relationship with Him. And then everything else that we need through the power of His resurrection, we have access to. And I want to ask if there's anyone here this morning, and if you're honest, you're not at that place where you are walking in a relationship with the King. And every week we're going to give people an opportunity to say, please pray with me. I need more of Jesus. I need Jesus to have more of me. I want to ask you this morning if there's anyone here and you say, Maris, I know about Jesus. I'm reading my Bible, but I can't say that I'm walking in a passionate, on fire, in love relationship with my King. I want you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. Everyone's eyes are closed. I'm just going to pray a prayer for you because that is Jesus' desire for you. And I want to encourage you this morning, church. It's going to cost you everything. He's already paid the price for you, but it's going to cost you everything to walk into that which He had died to give you and to give me. Why don't we just pray a prayer together this morning and I'm going to ask everyone to pray. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning and I want to say, I'm sorry. You know my heart this morning. 
Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to take up my cross and follow you every single day of my life. I ask you now to reveal yourself to me in a new way. Help me, Jesus, to follow you with my entire heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with everything that I am. Help me to pay the price of whatever it might cost. I ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to fill me with a fire that will awaken me so that I'll never be the same. Pour out on me a courage and a boldness to be a witness for you on this earth. I pray that I will not be a nominal Christian. I will be on fire, a disciple for you. Teach me your ways. Break open your word to me and teach me how to love you the way you love me. May your love overwhelm me. May it change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for every one of your children in this room, Lord. I thank you for everyone listening to this recording afterwards. And Father, I pray, Lord, that Jesus, you would reveal yourself in such a new and fresh way, Lord, that we will be set ablaze disciples for you. Lord, that this will be a church, Lord, that will be known, number one, for your presence, number two, for your love, number three, for being on fire for you, whatever it takes. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us afresh. Holy Spirit, that as we enter this holy week, Lord, as we take the time, as we pay the price for our time, Lord, for making time for your word, for making time for worship, for making time for spending time with you, we pray, Lord, that you would shake our worlds upside down. Lord, that you would shake off any religion that has stuck to us from the past. Lord, that you would shake off anything that is not from you, that we would walk in total freedom, that we would walk in total joy, that we would walk in total peace, Lord, as powerful, on-fire, bold witnesses for you in a broken world. Lord, I pray that the message of Easter, the message of the gospel will transform us in such a powerful way as we learn how to yield to you afresh. Lord, I pray that you will take our expectations that we have of you and align it to your word, align it to your truth. Help us to access, Lord, everything you died for us to have. Help us to walk in your truth. Help us to walk in your victory. Help us to just be on fire, Jesus. Lord, we want to be ready for when you come. We want to be ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to be accepted by you when that day comes. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. 
Thank you for what you did. Thank you for what you are still doing. Help us to step into that river. And I pray that we will never be the same. I pray a blessing and your protection over every one of our family, those traveling over Easter, Lord, those who are coming back next Sunday. I just pray for the presence of God to be with everyone. I pray for your protection over everyone. And we just bless your name today, Jesus. We declare again today, Hosanna, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We exalt your name today and forevermore. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Awesome church.